0: Good morning, One Chapel. I'm so thrilled that we are together this morning, worshiping, and uh, I really appreciate you being here. I wanna give you a little update before we go to the scriptures, just about where we are as a church. This week, earlier in the week, we had a conference call, a Zoom call actually with Governor Abbott. Uh, we were there with several hundred other pastors who he invited to just come and talk to us for uh, a, a few minutes just about where he is. And he spoke to us about how grateful he is that we are taking care of people. And I, that's just such a blessing. We need to keep taking care of people. And that's what we're called to do. He said, I see religious organizations as essential services. And I think that's a blessing to live in, in a state where the governor believes that. And so as he answered questions and kind of talked a little bit about strategy to move the economy forward, it became clear to us and I think to other pastors in the city that there are no simple or easy answers for kind of where we go next. We'll have to just keep uh, listening to the experts. We need to keep praying. We need to ask God for new ideas about how to keep ministering to people in our current environments. And um, it's important that we understand together that, that we're, we're gathering information. And it became clear as we listened that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And so you need to get that mindset. We need to have that mindset together. That means we need to keep meeting. You need to keep gathering online. We need to keep serving one another, serving the people around us, uh, loving each other. There is a guiding principle that we're going to adhere to as one chapel. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest commandment Jesus answered the question about what the greatest commandment is when he he said, you know it, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this has to be our guiding value and principle for what we do next as a church. And so I, I'm so grateful for how far we've come. I'm so grateful for how many groups are meeting. I'm so grateful for how you guys are reaching out and stories of people who are just serving the people in need around them. And I think we got to do this, keep doing this together. So I'm glad you're here with me today as we continue our new series that we launched a couple weeks ago, From Here to There. That's a good title for this series because we're all on this journey together through uncharted territory. And I know that we're all sheltered in place and you know, we're, we're dealing with the effects of our economy kind of coming to a standstill and many of you are working from home and it just feels like you're juggling all these things and everything's kind of mixed in together, or maybe I should say mixed up. And it's hard to kind of put it all together. Some of you have been laid off or furloughed and man, we are praying for you and with you. And I just believe that God is going to do something to provide for you. If if you'll look to him and we want to be the ones who will help people who are in really dire situations. And we're just all trying to figure it out. Like we're just, this is where we are and it's a challenging journey for all of us in some way. And so whether you're battling fear and anxiety or whether you've got a, got cabin fever, right? (laughs) I've got cabin fever with my family, or maybe you're battling an actual fever, which would be a bit more serious I just think we all need to help each other. We need to pray together. We need to keep meeting online. We keep, need to keep serving each other. And that's why I want you to think about this statement that we're using kind of as our, our premise for this series. And that statement is, everyone ends up somewhere, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. And I want to ask you this morning, where do you want to be when all of this is over? Where are you headed when we get to the end of this thing? Do you want to be stronger? Do you want to be healthier? Do you want to be more grateful for what God has done for you? I think we have to think about this because if we don't do things intentionally or purposefully, or proactively during this time, we may end up being somewhere we never planned to be. And so I I think we have to really look at this. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at the scriptures with me today. We're gonna look at 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. And I'm gonna read out of the Message Bible today, which is a modern day translation. And it's the apostle Peter. And he says, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. It's, a, it's funny, as I read this verse this week, I was thinking to myself, my home feels anything but cozy right now. It almost feels like a prison. And I'm sure that you can identify with that. The apostle Peter says something here that's really important. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. In other, in other words, understand who you really are and who you belong to, where you're headed. Verse 12, he says, live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. We're called to be different. We're not called to live in this world like it's our home and get too comfortable and too cozy. The Apostle Paul is saying we have to be different because we are not just citizens of this world. We are not just citizens here that belong to its customs and culture. We belong to a different culture. Nor are we tourists who are just passing through, trying to get all we can out of it. So Peter says, we can't just make ourselves cozy in this world. And the example that God gives us for following after him, the example that God gives us for traveling through this world is that of of a pilgrim, how God wants us to get from here where we are now to where we're headed is he wants us to see it as a pilgrimage. He wants us to see it as a journey that we're on together. And he wants the destination heaven to overshadow everything about this journey. And I want us to unpack that today because the question is, how do we do this? Especially how do we go through this season? How do, we, how do we live our lives not as citizens of the world craving security and craving uh, the, the comfort of our surroundings? How do we avoid just passing through as tourists and kind of living recklessly because we're just trying to get a bit of a thrill out of life? Well, tucked away in the book of Psalms is this well-worn songbook. It's a songbook of ancient Israel and it's called the Shirmahala. <laughs> I practiced that like a hundred times in Hebrew, it's Shirmahala. Go ahead. Say it. Try it. <laughs> yeah. Not so easy. Which is translated as the songs of a sense, the songs of a sense. And these songs, are the Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 and the literal translations of the, of the songs of Ascents, Right. The right? What that means when you unpack the word is songs that are sung on the journey to a higher place. Songs that are sung on the journey to a higher place. That's where we're headed. That's where the pilgrims are. The Hebrew pilgrims were, as they traveled through the festivals, for the festivals, the Jewish festivals, at the temple in Jerusalem, they would travel and they would sing these psalms together. They knew them by heart, 15 of them. And interestingly enough, there's, these 15 psalms have within them a roadmap for our journey through life because these Psalms are about all kinds of, of areas of our lives, different, different angles on life, different understanding about the, the different types of experiences we will have on this journey together. And it turns out that these pilgrimages that we are traveling on together, your life, my life this thing we're going through right now in our country and really around the world must be overshadowed by understanding where we're headed. That we don't travel just as a citizen or a, or a tourist. But if we let heaven overshadow walking through this journey, it will overshadow our worry. It will, It will comfort us in our fears. It will help us get through our struggle. It'll even answer the questions that we have along the way. Last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 120. This week, we're going to look at Psalm 122 because during the week, each week, we're going to do another Psalm. Each of the campus pastors will do that uh, online on social media. And So turn with me to Psalm 122 because it is the Psalm of a person the song really of a person who realizes the joy, the value and the beauty of the decision to go to the house of God, to worship together with all of his people. Let's read it. Psalm 122 verse one says, and I'm reading this from the message Bible again, the modern day translation. It says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem inside Jerusalem's walls. Jerusalem, well-built city, built as a place for worship. The city to which the tribes ascend. All God's tribes go up to worship, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there. Famous David thrones. Pray for Jerusalem's peace. Prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. Friendly insiders, get along. Hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. For the sake of the house of our God, God, I'll do my very best for you. This is an incredible psalm. And one of the challenges that I've had as a pastor is listening to all the reasons that people give for not going to church. And I've heard them all. Like, my mother made me when I was little, so I don't want to go. Or, there are way too many hypocrites in the church. And I'm always thinking to myself, you'll fit right in. (laughs) Because that's all that are there. (laughs) All of us are working on this thing. Another another excuse is, it's my only day to sleep in. I used to respond to such statements with a little argument. Like I I just gently sort of try to expose their flimsy excuses. But then I noticed that it didn't really make any difference. That uh, no matter how hard I tried to argue the importance of worshiping together, people would just come up with more excuses. And so I... I just don't respond anymore. I don't, I don't really try to win the argument. I just listen. I straight faced. And then I go home and I pray for them that they'll discover the one sufficient reason for going to church, for gathering to worship. Because that one sufficient reason for gathering to worship God is none other than God himself. And this Psalm clarifies that for us again, look at verse one. It says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. Now think about that. He's saying, let's go. Come on, everybody say it. Let's go. There's something like, I just can't wait to get there. Is that the way you feel about coming to church for a time of worship? Are you looking forward to the next time that we can all come together in one physical place to worship God? I know I am. See, I think if we're really being honest with ourselves, many of us are more in touch with the first line of this psalm than at any other time in our lives. Because of COVID-19 and sheltering in place, uh, I think we're more in touch with this longing to be together, to sing together, to worship with our church family. But, But customarily, ordinarily, that's not necessarily how we feel about coming together and worshiping God. For some of us, worshiping with others at church is okay, but not something we love and long for. And I think there's a certain sadness about that. The reason for this goes back to our mindsets, right? What is your mindset? We covered it last week, the tourist, the citizen, the, the pilgrim. Because if you have the mindset of a tourist, worship is about, <laughs> it's about the feels. It's a, it's about how you feel with a tourist mindset. You're looking to have fun and you want pleasure, and the truth is, hey, the truth is, it's not always easy to make the journey to church. It's not always easy to join with others to worship. Some of you are really having trouble right now feeling like worshiping God because it just doesn't feel the same online. And listen, I get it. It isn't the same it is different It you know it's awkward to stand up and raise your hands in your own living room and start singing at the top of your lungs I had we had our first experience as a family last week where we were we were home and the worship time was coming and and, and so it started and I could see everybody was there in the in the living room and and they, they were just kind of not very engaged kind of just watching so I started singing and you know I'm kind of the obnoxious when I started singing it at the top of my voice and they just kind of all stared at me and I was like, come on people, we need to, we need to enter in here. Let's sing, let's pray. And I get it. It's so easy to just become a tourist in worship. You see, for a tourist, worship is dependent on external factors. So the music has to be just right. The songs have to be the right songs. <laughs> Nothing, right? Nothing's worse than coming to church and they're not singing your favorite songs or they're singing your, singing your least favorite song. And the worship leader has to do the right things and, and, and everything has to be right. So the end result is that worship for a tourist is very spectatorish. And I think this Psalm is highlighting the problem with that. For a tourist, you just got to have the hype. The psalmist had a deep longing in his heart, a deep love for gathering. On the other hand, if you, if you have the mindset of a citizen, worship is very ritualistic and, and obligatory. Like, like it's something you're willing to participate in. Sure, it's, it's fine, it's necessary, but it's not going to be something you're going to initiate on your own. And if you have the mindset of a citizen, you're gonna, your, your worship's gonna be tend to be more focused on yourself, what others think of you maybe, rather than God. And so here's the thing. When you have a mindset of a pilgrim, well, Psalm 122 shows us why worship is one of the most important things that we do as a Christian, one of the most important functions, one of the most important things that we enter into together. And it's not only true that worship is essential But it's essential for this pilgrimage that we're on together during this pandemic, during sheltering in place. So I want to make the case to you today as we read this psalm together that we all need to enter into worship, both both corporately and as our, our families gather and even when we're on our own. Worship is essential for this pilgrimage that we're all on together. And I'm gonna give you four reasons, all right? The first reason is, number one, worship gives us a framework for our lives. It's a framework. Look at verses three and four. It says, Jerusalem, well-built city, built as a place of worship, the city to which the tribes ascend. All God's tribes go up to worship. Now for the Hebrews, Jerusalem was the place of worship. Three times a year, We've they went up for these festivals. Huge celebration because of God's deliverance, because of God's presence, because of God's power, because the temple was where God's spirit dwells. Now in the New Testament, the scriptures reveal for our lives that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so in this way, you can understand your life is now a place where God dwells. And that's why worship is so important. It's why author, pastor, and theologian, Eugene Peterson says, people's lives are only as good as their worship. And here in these verses, the psalmist uses two metaphors to describe what worship is. The first metaphor that he uses is this architectural metaphor. The King James Version translates verse three as this. It says, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact." right? Compact together. The Coverdale translation says it this way, that Jerusalem is built as a city, check this out, that is at unity in itself. In other words, the city of Jerusalem was well built. All the pieces of of masonry were fit compactly together. The building stones fit harmoniously together. There were no loose stones, no leftover pieces, no awkward gaps in the walls of the towers. And that's what we all want for our lives, right? To be well put together, to be strong, no loose places, walls that are sturdy. And then the second metaphor that he uses is a social metaphor. Look at verse four. It says, the city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship. All God's tribes are going up together and the different tribes of Israel gathered Together for this time of worship, they were functioning in, in harmonious relationships, even though they were coming from different places with various conditions, even though they were at different levels of intelligence and maybe even wealth, even though they may have spoken different languages, and even though they may have had different colors of skin. When they gathered together to worship, they were saying the same things. They were doing the same things. That is the power of worshiping together one chapel. People coming from all over the place, no matter what your background, no matter what your socioeconomic level is, no matter what political affiliation you have, we come together under the banner of Jesus. It is a powerful statement of unity. A.W. Tozer, who is a brilliant Theologian and author, he said this, and it's a little bit of a long quote, but I want you to follow it here with me. It says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together each one looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become just unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship with each other. And so listen this architectural metaphor and the social metaphor the psalmist is describing how worship gives us a unified solid framework for our lives think of it this way our our lives are like embroidery the different stitches represent the different experiences and steps that we take in life but if you don't have a frame for that embroidery if you don't have a frame going around all that stitching and all that stuff that you're putting together everything becomes loose and sloppy and the reason for this is because you don't have a border around it stretching it out Holding things together, you never know where you are. Life can be really chaotic, as we have seen, even out of control sometimes. Worship brings you back, worship brings you back, it brings you together. It's like guardrails for your life when things are kind of crazy and stormy and rainy and out of control and you need you need those guardrails to keep you to keep you on the straight and narrow road worship is that thing it's a framework for our lives the second reason why worship is so important to our pilgrimage is that worship nurtures our relationship with god it nurtures our relationship with god verse 4 check it out it says to give thanks to the name of god this is what it means i love this phrase this is what it means to be Israel. I would say to you, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be the church. This is what it means. We talked about this week in Psalm 121, we talked about this idea when you're feeling anxious or when you're feeling in conflict with a friend or when you're struggling with temptation or or even when sin has really messed up your life, the greatest mistake we can make is to conclude that God has gotten bored with you or that God has become disgusted with you or God's gotten too busy for you or God has gone off and left you. Nothing could be further from the truth. The incredibly good news of the gospel of Jesus is that God actually enters into your troubles and he saves you, he rescues you. And so the most natural, honest and healthy, logical response to all that is what? is to give thanks. It's to give thanks to God. St. Augustine said a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. See, the reality is God made you, God redeems you. He provides for you and God's with you. And that's why our most natural and honest and healthy response to God is to worship him, to give thanks. Look at it again, verse four, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. In other words, This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a pilgrim on a journey. But the problem for so many of us is that if you have the mindset of a tourist or the mindset of a citizen, then if you don't feel like worshiping, if you don't feel like giving thanks, if things are so difficult and challenging and you just don't feel like it, then what do you do? Some people tend to say, well, it would be dishonest for me to go to a place of worship and praise God when I don't feel like it. I mean, I would be a hypocrite if I did that. And I've heard that many, many times. But I want you to listen to what Paul Shearer said in his book, The Word God Sent. What he says about this, he crystallizes it so well. Look at what it says. It says, the Bible wastes very little time on the way we feel. The truth of the matter is that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Did you catch that? It's so profound. That is why worship is an act that develops feelings for God instead of and not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. See, what you've got to see here is worship is the thing that directs us when life is chaotic or difficult. And you've heard me say this before, church. I think feelings should always follow. Feelings follow. You should write it down. Feelings follow. They should never lead. Feelings will fail you. They'll lead you in the wrong direction. They can't be in charge. You and I must base our worship on something more foundational and more consistent than our feelings. Feelings, now listen, feelings are not sinful. They just are. They are. It's it's called being human. So don't feel bad about having feelings. This is who we are. It's not hypocritical for you to worship God when you don't feel like it. Because I think people get confused about the definition of hypocrisy. Right? What does it, what does it actually mean to be a hypocrite? Okay. Look at it. Hypocrisy. I want you to see this statement. Hypocrisy is not when your actions don't line up with your feelings, right? That's not hypocrisy. If that were true, if that, if that, go back to the other thing, you guys go, go back to that thing. I want them to see this hypocrisy is not when your actions don't line up with your feelings. If that were true, my kids would never take out the trash. They, they, do like, like, like they don't want to take out the trash, so their feelings are always in conflict with what I'm training them to do. And in, in, in like manner, I think that's true for us as we're going through life. Here's what hypocrisy really is. This is what the definition is. It's when your actions don't line up with your convictions, what you truly believe. That's why Psalm 122 says, I don't care whether you feel like it or not, it's been decreed. So give thanks to the name of God. This is who you are. Psalm 100 verse four says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Thankfulness is a thing that enters us into the presence of God in your life. And I'm not talking about being thankful for everything. I'm talking about being thankful in everything every circumstance. Why would we be thankful for getting sick or people uh, dying from COVID? We we wouldn't be thankful for that. That would be crazy. But in the middle of this uncertain journey, in the middle of this uncharted territory, we can be thankful that God is with us. And he is walking with us on this journey. And there is no better way to discover that than to begin to thank him, begin to worship him, because this is who you are are. He is the deliverer. He is the healer. He is the one who gives you strength. I may not be able to understand how God will help me as I go through some of these difficult seasons of life, but I can believe, I can trust, I can have a conviction that he has sent me a helper in the Holy Spirit to walk with me. You see, when we obey the command to give thanks and praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. And I want you to see that. The third reason why worship is so important in our pilgrimage is that worship focuses our attention on the decisions of God. Look at verse five. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there. Famous David thrones. That word judgment, so profound. That word judgment means the decisive word by which God straightens things out and puts things right. Now think about that. Think about that. Because everything that happens when we come together for worship, everything that happens, whether we're in a building or we're doing it on on computers, from the songs that we sing to the scriptures that we read, from the prayers that we pray to the messages that are spoken in love. Through all of this we're familiarizing ourselves with what God says. We're reminded of what God has done in our history and his faithfulness. We're taught of God's love and his salvation work in our lives. In other words, when we come together to worship, it's a time when God straightens things out in our lives and puts things right. Listen, I know, I know this is how it works. Right? Sometimes it's hard to get to the place of worship personally I get that I totally get that sometimes you come to church sometimes you even you'll come to church online even and you'll be like I I'm, I'm so annoyed you're so grumpy something you know so many things have become annoying and sheltering in place and so you could easily just be upset about something and it's like the first song you're like yeah mm-hmm, not feeling it Mm-mm, no second song maybe you decide to start Closing your eyes, trying to focus. Maybe, maybe your lips mumble a few of the words to the song. Third song, maybe you decide, okay, you're, you're finally gonna enter and you lift your hands in an act of surrender. Suddenly you've moved from your decisions to God's decisions. To look at the world through his eyes rather than yours to look at things entirely differently this is what happened to the psalmist in psalm 73 he in psalm 73 you can go check it out this week he he was so upset about so many things he, it seems so unfair to him in several verses. For like 10 verses, he's just complaining and whining to God. In verse 12, he says, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. He's like, say, look, I've done all this and it's pointless because I'm struggling. Verse 14, all day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, meaning if I spoke this out, I would have betrayed your children, your people. When I tried to understand this, he says it was oppressive to me. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. I got perspective. I saw it when I entered the sanctuary, that's what he says. See, when you're confused, when you don't understand why things are the way they are, worship brings focus to your heart and mind, to what God has said, what he has said in the past, what he's saying to you in the moment, and what he's saying about the future. It shows us where we stand. It brings clarity to our confusion and creates perspective that we've somehow lost. And that's why on a pilgrimage, where there are ups and downs and dangerous turns, worship is essential to our lives. Finally, the fourth reason why worship is so important to pilgrimage is that worship affects our relationships and spheres of influence. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 6 through 9. Pray for Jerusalem's peace, the psalmist says. Prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. Friendly insiders, get along. Hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family, Look at this, for the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. I declare it to you. I'm saying it right here. I'm speaking it into your house, your home. Live in peace for the sake of the house of our God. God, I'll do my very best for you, he says. See, it's from our time of worship that God touches our heart with his will, with his purpose, and then that compels us. It pushes us to pray and to intercede for our relationships and our spheres of influence. It calls us to collaboration with him. And I think it's automatic, like like there's something about his presence when we come and start to enter in and we sense his grace and his peace and his strength in our lives. When we sense his presence, it's an almost like an automatic response. We want other people to experience this as well. They must experience what I'm experiencing now. The peace, the strength, the wisdom, the grace that only I can only get from God. And this word ask right here, this word pray, sorry, this word pray means ask in Hebrew. And It's not the normal word that's used in formal worship. It's very informal. It's an informal word because it's used in everyday Hebrew life that the psalmist is using here. It's a word that the Hebrews would ask, they'd use for asking for a second helping of bread or if they're asking directions. It's real life. And so this song of a pilgrim propels us out of our worship of God and, and transitions us into our everyday life where God's great purpose needs to be on display by us bringing peace and prosperity into the spheres of influence around us. Verse six says, pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. And that word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, end right here with some quotes from Eugene Peterson. Again, a brilliant theologian, a Bible scholar. He wrote the Message Bible and he's, he's, here's what he says about the word shalom. He says, you can no more define shalom by looking up its meaning in the dictionary than you can define a person by his or her social security number. It gathers all aspects of wholeness that result from God's will. Being completed in us. It is the work of God that, when complete, releases streams of living water in us and pulsates with eternal life. Every time Jesus healed, forgave, or called someone, we have a demonstration of shalom. That's big. That's a lot bigger than just getting rid of your anxiety. That's something more profound. Now, the word prosperity is the Hebrew word shalva, shalva. And Eugene Peterson says this about that word. He says shalva has nothing to do with insurance policies or large bank accounts or stockpiles of weapons. The root meaning of shalva is leisure. Check this out, church. This is amazing. It's the relaxed stance Of one who knows that everything is all right because God is over us, with us, and for us in Jesus Christ. It is the security of being at home in a history that has a cross at its center. It's the leisure of the person who knows that every moment of our existence is at the disposal of God. Lived under the mercy of God. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. This is what I want us to do together. See, it's out of our times of worship together where we experience God's presence and provision. And I think it's something that propels us into the world that we live in to love our neighbors.